press record. Then I can go back. Now, I hope you guys are ready for a lovely sermon on some really basic kind of cruisy stuff, because I believe when I was reading that passage, there's a lovely verse in there that kind of stands out around verse 26 that uh, tends to raise a lot of questions for a lot of Christians. So hopefully today I'll get to answer some of those questions that you have. But by way of just a basic outline of what we're doing today, I have three kind of points we're going to go through. It's probably at that one. Let's go back to the three points. Here we go, three keys. We are going to be looking at Jesus' sacrifice being the greater and better sacrifice. We're going to talk about the application of that. We're then going to deal with the difficult verse of 26 and deliberate sin, which then flows into further application. Okay, so it's really, you know, Jesus' sacrifice and a lot of application but because of this verse, it's a bit difficult. You know, I know that when I read it, I had a thousand questions in my head. I went and did further research. I even went back to an essay that I wrote at college that was like a big project that I did on uh, the unforgivable sin and the atonement of Christ. So uh, I mean, quite enjoyed going back and reading my old terrible writing. <laughs> but uh, hopefully today we will all benefit from what is in front of us from this passage. So let me just quickly pray and then we'll get stuck into it. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for sending your son to be the greater sacrifice for us. I just ask, Lord, that you will open our hearts today. May we hear your word. May it affect and impact our lives so that we can live as your people in this world. Amen. So we're going to start by looking at Jesus, the greater sacrifice. And that starts off for us very quickly in verse 1 through to 4. So have a look at your Bibles. Hopefully you've got those open. And it says, the law is a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, right? so it can never make perfect those who draw near to worship. So the Old Testament sacrifices never, ever made anyone perfect so that they could draw near to God to worship. Now, these are actually going to be repeated things throughout this chapter. The idea of being made perfect, coming near God to worship. Okay. Uh, otherwise, verse 2, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all. That's going to repeat throughout as well. And would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. So not only is the sacrifice meant to make them perfect, but it's meant to get rid of the guilt of your sin. But these Old Testament sacrifices do not do that. Instead, in verse 3, those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Which kind of begs, what's the point of all those Old Testament sacrifices that were laid out? And the point is, verse 3, they were given to us to remind us of our sin. Let me show you a little sketch here. This is Herod's temple. So the temple in Jesus' day, the temple that was probably still around when Hebrews was being written. And I want you to note a few things about this lovely picture. And that is that if you are a Gentile like me, then you get to come into the court of the Gentiles, which is where the temple priests and stuff were all selling the animals and stuff that Jesus tipped over. It's where Jesus sat with his disciples to teach them quite often. Solomon's colonnade, right? All these great big columns that kept you out of the rain, right? That's all the Gentile court. So you can go there. Congratulations. Uh, If you're an Israelite, you get to go a bit closer to God. 
So you get to go into the court of, well, this is the court of women. So women, you get stuck there. Sorry. All right. As an Israelite female, you can get that far. The boys get to go in a little bit further. You'll see around the outside, there's the court of Israel, right, which is around the, the outside of the court of the priests. So if you're a Levite and you're a male, you get to go in to the court of the priests, which is where all the sacrifices were made and where the bowl was to cleanse all the water, like the bowl of water and stuff, if you're familiar with those kinds of things. We then finally get into the actual temple. So there's all these barriers that are reminding you that you are sinful, that you can't actually get access to God because God is in the Holy of Holies, right? And we still have one level for the priests, only the priests, and when they're on duty, right? If you're not on duty that month or that uh, week, you can't go in there. But your job is to go in there and make sure the incense is still burning, the candles are still going, and then you get all the way into the Holy of Holies where the high priest, just one person, can go on one day each year and it's only on the Day of Atonement after he has made this big sacrifice, he has to go in there with a bucket of blood and tip it over the Ark of the Covenant and then walk out straight away. If he doesn't, right, if he hasn't done the sacrifice properly, all those kinds of things, he's a dead man because he too is still sinful. And so all these sacrifices are actually showing the Israelites and they show us when we study it that we are sinful and cannot access the holiness of God. And that is in the earthly shadow of things, let alone the reality of things in heaven. And so this is a reminder of our sin, that we are not perfect, and that is why we're making all these sacrifices. That's why they were making all these sacrifices. Now in Hebrews, we go on to a section about this is why Christ. And so we start at verse 5. It says, therefore, when Christ came into the world... And then there's some repeated things about what Jesus said, which means they're important. But I'll skip down to verse 9. So if you want to have a look there. So all the stuff beforehand is Christ saying all these sacrifices God didn't want, basically. And he says instead, Here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first, so sets aside the shadow, the Old Testament, all the laws of Moses, the temple, the sacrifices, to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy, which means set apart for God, through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So now we have a one-off sacrifice that's done once, not yearly, not repetitively, and it covers everyone. And so nice and simple there, we have a superior sacrifice in Christ. And that is already. And that then ushers in the new covenant. And so the writer of Hebrews goes on to then quote the bringing of the new covenant, the writing of the law on your heart, and then says that he also adds that their sins and lawless acts, I, God, right, not me, I will remember no more. So now that the new covenant is in, now that the sacrifice has been made, I'm going to no longer remember your sins, says God. And where these have been forgiven where your sins have been sent away, that's what the word forgiveness means, sent away, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. And so that gives us this nice quick summary of the superiority of Christ's sacrifice. So if we go through the old one, it's a shadow, it's not really reality, it's repeated, it cannot make you perfect, it cannot remove sin, it cannot remove the guilt of sin. It reminds people of their sin. It actually was not desired by God. 
nor did it please him. So even when they were done properly, Hebrews says, this isn't actually what God wants. Instead, he wants Jesus to do his will. And so when we look at Jesus' sacrifice, it's a one-off, one-time, once-only sacrifice, not repeated. It does make you holy. It does set you apart for Christ or for God. It makes us perfect. It removes our guilt of our sin. It takes away our sin, right? forgives it, sends it off. It ushers in the new covenant and it allows us to come near to God. In fact, the verse says that it allows us to go into the holy of holies, to enter the most holy place through a new curtain. Right, The old curtain that got torn when Christ died is gone. We get to enter into the real holy of holies through the body of Christ. And so Jesus' sacrifice is by far superior to the old sacrifices. Now, I have a feeling that you guys probably aren't overly tempted to go back and offer a few more sacrifices, right? Probably not that many of you own a bull, right? Or a sheep or a goat. Probably not even that many of you have doves anymore or pigeons to offer. <laughs> I have a few goats I could give. <laughs> but I'm not tempted. I'm not even tempted to go back and do sacrifices. In fact, in Australia, generally speaking, it's illegal for you to go and do sacrifices like that. Okay, so what's the point then for us? when we look at the superiority of Christ's sacrifice. Why is the point of the Hebrews for us saying Jesus' sacrifice is so much better than the Old Testament ones? And it comes to us when we get into verse 22. Now, verse 22 is going to come under the heading of perseverance. And this heading of perseverance is going to do pretty much the rest of chapter 10. Because that's the application of the superiority. And it's really about what Christ's death has done for us. And so I want you to pay attention as you look at this passage. Whenever you're reading the Bible and you see things that repeat themselves a lot, it normally means the person's trying to emphasize it. It's kind of like when you're dealing with your children. You have to repeat things a lot to make sure that they get the point. And they constantly don't get the point, so you say it again and again. Uh, That's just my nine years of experience. I'm sure people with more experience can probably attest to it just continuing. (laughs) So we're going to talk about perseverance now. And verse 22 starts off with two words that are going to repeat themselves over the next three verses. Each verse starts with, let us. And so it's very clear straight away that this is a group thing, not an independent thing. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Okay? And the full assurance comes because of the superiority of Christ's sacrifice. So my question is, how do we draw near to God? Not a rhetorical question. (laughs) How do we draw near to God? Anyone? How do you draw near? Prayer. Prayer? Great. So prayer? Meeting together. together. Excellent. Reading his word. Reading his word. Obeying. Obedience. That's great. Okay, lots of of ways. I've got a lot to get through, so I'm not going to let you talk forever. Uh, (laughs) But there are lots of ways that we can draw near to God. Okay. There's actually a great book called Enjoying God. If you haven't read it by Tim Chester, I highly recommend you read it. It will help you to understand a large variety of ways that you can draw near and enjoy God. Now, obviously, at the heart of that is reading your Bible, because that's the main way that God is going to speak directly to you. Okay? 
Uh, we do have the Holy Spirit, so you will get stuff from the Holy Spirit, but you then need to go back to the Bible to check that and make sure that that was the Holy Spirit talking to you and not just your sinful nature saying, oh yeah, you can do that, right? Because that happens too. We have that tension at the moment in our brains. But we're going to pray. I personally, going to nature is what I love to do. I love to get out into the bush. It's part of why we moved to the mountains, was so that I could go on bushwalks. I then had children. I haven't done as many as I wanted. But it's when I'm in the nature... If I go into nature with my Bible, I am loving it. Right? This is when I feel closest to God. And this is about me feeling, right? It's not about whether I am closer to God or not, right? We're always as close to God because God's living with us once we're Christians. But we feel closer at various times. So we're called to draw near to God in lots of different ways. The next verse, 23, tells us to hold on, right? Let us, see that repetition? Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful. Now, it's very important when you read your Bible that you pay attention to a thing called conjunctions. Right? They're the connecting words. So things like therefore, because, or the word for in this part. Right? So we are holding unswervingly to a hope. Now, remember, in the Bible, when you see the word hope, it is not something that you're not sure is going to happen. It's just something you haven't seen happen yet. And so we hope for Jesus' return. We even kind of hope in his death and resurrection we didn't see it right but we know it happened right this is a secure sure thing we just didn't see it so we hope our hope is unswerving we hold on to it unswervingly not because of us right that doesn't say because you are really good and faithful doesn't say because you always feel like you're really strong in the lord no you hold unswervingly because so the word for is essentially because he for he who promised is faithful because of the faithfulness of Christ and his superior sacrifice that we've been talking about, right? because of his superior priesthood, because of his superior everything. Right? That's what Hebrews is all about. Jesus is superior, full stop. That's the summary of Hebrews for you. Okay? But he is faithful. And he's the one who promised it. And therefore it's assured. And we don't need to doubt. That's verse 23. Let's go to the next verse. Because it is going to start again with a let us. And I think this verse particularly, we as a church, do amazingly. <clears throat> it says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards a love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. There's a lot in these two verses, I'm pretty sure. I have fans cheering each other on there, right? Because when you meet together, it's essentially your home ground advantage okay this is when you come and everyone around you cheers you on right everyone gets up we're all going to start clapping each other right and cheering you on to doing good deeds to loving other people and particularly loving jesus and as a church we are really designed our structure is all about meeting together okay, i've been here now maybe three years and every GC I've been in meets twice a week. That's two days a week. They normally have DNAs as well. That's another day where we're going to meet up. And then we have our Sunday gathering. That's four days a week minimum if you're committed to your GCs and your DNAs. That you are actually meeting up regularly with other Christians who are spurring you on towards love and good deeds. Not to add to it, you know, the number of cups of coffee that you get invited to with people here. You go and walk dogs with people. You go climbing with people. Okay, we do gardening together. We do everything together here. 
And the reason we do this is so that we can get alongside each other and spur and cheer each other on to following and persevering and doing the good deeds. In fact, sometimes it is us who provide the opportunity for you to do your good deeds. I had someone in my GC the other day say, I need help putting up a fence. So I said, great, opportunity for me to go and do a good deed. Went and helped put up a fence. It's not done yet, but that's okay. <laughs> the opportunities we provide for each other. And our church is very secure in this area. It's something that's core to us. And if you haven't joined a GC yet, let me really encourage you to make that commitment of joining a GC. Because without it, you don't have your home court advantage. You are essentially away in someone else's camp and there someone else is cheering you on to do something else. Here, we're going to cheer you on to follow Christ. Let's continue now. So we've gotten through the first bit about Jesus' sacrifice being superior, a bit of application. Now we're going to hit the hard part. This is the hard work when it comes to some passages. So let's have a look at verse 26. Verse 26 says that if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left. And it continues, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. I hope that makes you ask a whole bunch of questions. When I read this verse, I want to clarify every bit of it. What does it mean by deliberately keep on sinning? What does it mean by after receiving the knowledge of the truth? How can there be no sacrifice for sin left? I get the rest of it, right? Fearful judgment and the coming fire. Right? I've read Revelation, there's a fire. Right? Satan and his, all God's enemies get chucked into it. So I get that bit, but the first bit scares me. Because I don't know about you, but I still sin. And given that the Bible tells us that we are never tempted beyond what we can actually bear and that God always provides us a way out, it means always your sin is a choice that you've made. Which kind of means it's always deliberate. I'm going to come back to verse 26, but I want to read verse 28 and down to 31 first. So verses 28 to 31, because this is really important for understanding verse 26. It says, anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. So remember, that's the shadow of things, right? If you rejected the shadow, you died on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Verse 29, how much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them? And who has insulted the spirit of grace. So in those few verses, like if you reject the Old Testament laws and stuff, you died. Right? But how much more do you think you deserve it if you are rejecting Jesus, treating his sacrifice as rubbish, and then insulting the spirit of grace? Verse 30, for we know him who said, it is mine to avenge. This is God speaking. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We forget that God is a just judge who God ah, that God is a just God who judges. <laughs> I will get it out. But we forget that. We focus so much on the lovingness 
but we forget that it also comes with judgment. So as we make sense of verse 26, I'm going to pull out verse 29, particularly the second half of verse 29, and bring them together for you. So verse 26 says, if we deliberately keep on sinning, verse 29 talks about what that sin is really going to entail. Because this all comes together. The thing that we struggle with as Christians is that so often people pull verses out of context. And verse 26 is a terrible verse to read out of context. But it comes in a really clear context. And the context is what comes after it and what comes before it. And both things are super important for understanding this verse. So if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth. The knowledge of the truth that this author is talking about is the truth he has been talking about from verse 1 of chapter 1 all the way through to this point. Jesus is superior. He has a superior sacrifice. It is a once for all time sacrifice that covers everyone. Okay? And he's particularly focusing in on the sacrifice that he's just been talking about. The superior nature of Christ's sacrifice. The one that can make you perfect. The others can't. The one that can make you holy. The others can't. The one that allows you to draw near to God and worship him. The other ones can't. Okay? And so what he's saying here is that if you deliberately reject that, right? if you deliberately keep on rejecting the idea that Jesus' sacrifice is the only sacrifice that can save you, no sacrifice for sin is left. And that's clear to me because the context before is all about Jesus' sacrifice. But then 29 is going to be talking about trampling the Son of God underfoot and treating as unholy the blood of the covenant. And that blood is spilled out at the sacrifice. And so this verse, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, is about us deliberately reject. Because the word deliberate here is not just the deliberateness of, in a situation, I made a choice. Okay? Which is what all of your sin is. All of your sin is in a situation, you made a choice. Right? You either chose to follow God or you chose not to. Right, in that particular situation. This word that's used here is actually more about willful choosing and planning. It's kind of like when you willfully volunteer to help out at church. The same word is used for free will sacrifices that are made. You didn't just go, I'll make a choice now and I'll use it for my free will sacrifice. No, you planned it out, you, ran, you raised that goat, you made sure it was perfect, you selected it, you took it all the way down to Jerusalem and you slaughtered it. Right? It's got this idea of planning and deliberateness to it and so if you are doing that deliberately and essentially what you're talking about here is rejecting this superior sacrifice of Christ because if you do reject it there is no other sacrifice that's what he's been saying right Jesus sacrifice is the one that makes you holy not the other ones so if you don't accept that sacrifice and you keep on sinning instead just go well that's good Jesus sacrifice is not holy it's not something that's worth paying attention to, and I just keep going, then I am left with no sin. I'm not left with no sacrifice, not no sin. Definitely have the sin. <laughs> right? But I'm left with no sacrifice because the other ones didn't work. They never worked. And no other one does work. So I hope that is helpful for so far because Christ's death is enough. Right? That is the point that is being made here. Christ's death is enough. And so I would actually encourage you, because of what Christ's sacrifice is meant to do, make you holy, make you perfect, this is what it does, right? But it also gets rid of the guilt of your sin. Now raise your hand, have you ever felt guilty about sin? Anyone? Anyone? All right, 
Beautiful. But Christ gets rid of that. And our problem is that we don't let him. How often when you feel guilty, you just kind of wallow in that guilt and go, I should be making the right choice. I definitely had my way out. I didn't choose it. Maybe I'm continuing to deliberately sin. I'm stuffing up, right? Then I'm, maybe I'm not really a Christian, right? You kind of let that guilt fill you up. And the way to fix that is to come back to Hebrews and read what Christ's sacrifice does for you and read the fact that it is not about you. You are not saved based on your ability to feel like you're still a Christian or your ability to go on and be perfect. Right? I can't see any example in the Bible where there was a Christian who went on for the rest of his life and was perfect. Right? Peter, one of the best, failed multiple times. Right? Paul was shocking to start with. <laughs> okay? but these are our great big superheroes. right? <laughs> but they are the same. They need to come back to Christ and when you come back and you focus on the cross and you focus on what the cross does for you and you remember the fact that it doesn't actually revolve around you and what you've done, but it actually revolves around Christ and what he's done for you. Right? We hold to the hope unswervingly, not because of us, but because the one who died is faithful and he never changes. Right? This is the God who never changes. He has declared things and they are so. You are perfect. You are holy. You have been set apart for God. You can come into the Holy of Holies. In fact, the Holy Spirit currently, if you say you're a Christian, you follow Jesus, is inside you. You are in the Holy of Holies every day, all the time. You can't lose that. Jesus says he won't let those who he has in his hand be taken away. He keeps them. And that is why we are called to persevere all the time. And that is why we gather together in all of our various ways so that we can encourage each other and spur each other on to persevere to the end. So verse 36, we're moving on from 26. We're getting to the last little bit of application here. I've kind of skipped a little bit down towards the end. So we're going to go to verse 36. And it says that you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, Anyone remember what the will of God is? Yeah, beautiful. Believe in Jesus. Right? So when you have done the will of God, that is when you have believed, and the word believed means to be faithful to, right? To trust in. Right? So when you have done the will of God, when you have trusted in Jesus, you will receive what he has promised. Only takes trust. Nothing more. And so that guilt... You go, well, I'm not trusting. I can go back to Jesus, have a look at what he's done, have a look at that cross. Remind yourself of the superior nature of what Jesus has done, the power of what he has done for you. He didn't keep offering sacrifices for you. He sat down at the right hand of the Father and is waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. He's not wondering about things. He's not unsure. He is faithful and he has fulfilled what he has promised. And so the call for you then, at the very end of this chapter, in verse 39 says, We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. We are not those who shrink back. But we are of those who believe and are saved. Those who trust in the superior nature of Christ's sacrifice and are saved. So let's not doubt what he has done. And if you haven't 
trusted in that, you need to know there is no sacrifice for your sin left. Because there is only one sacrifice for sin that you can go to, and that is Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much that we are at a church that loves Christ. I ask, Lord, that you would use your spirit in our hearts to remind us continually of the faithfulness of Jesus, of the superior nature and power of his sacrifice, and enable us to spur others on around us. May we find them, may we cheer them on, may we guide them back when they get lost. Because this is how we persevere, Lord. This is how we persevere, is by trusting in you and knowing that you have done it all for us. Amen. Lord, I thank you for the talk we've just heard from you.